It might seem like a really obvious question, and for those of you who've heard me speak a few times, I throw the word love around quite frequently, and I'm not ashamed of that, but there is a character in the Bible that I love. Anyone, any ideas? Jesus. Good. First time. Jesus. Uh, I, I, I love him. I'm fairly unashamed of that. Um, this week has been a real journey for me in understanding a little bit more of that. I was always taught in Sunday school that Jesus is the answer. It was kind of this thing that we were just told. Jesus is the answer. We would do sessions on it. We'd color in wonderful uh, bubble words that said Jesus. So I took to, at the start of my exams, I did it all through my GCSEs, writing in pencil at the start of every exam I did Jesus. Sadly, I never once had the faith to walk out of my exam at that stage. I would sit there and I would write answers, and in truth, by the end of the exam, I would take the other end of my pencil and I would rub Jesus out just in case they thought that was who I thought I was. Um, But I did it. I would write it. And it's an interesting kind of idea that Jesus is the answer, because I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to say that for quite a lot of our lives, we don't live like that. We seem to break life up into different places and sometimes we think that we can come up with a better answer. We can sometimes think that maybe Jesus is the answer in this setting but not in that setting. I want to challenge us this morning that I think there is maybe a little bit more to Jesus than we give him credit for. So I want to ask you a question. If any of you know the answer, other than Steph, who I had to tell the answer to because she organized the children's craft, uh, how many times do we think Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament, either as the speaker or being spoken of? Any ideas? This is a two-way thing. 200, any advances on 200? We are not bidding for anything, just always wanted to be able to say that with a microphone. 487, very specific, treasurer. Anyone else? 1,500, we're getting better as a clue to the others. Okay, because we could be here for a while, uh, it's 1,158 times. In the New Testament, Jesus is mentioned as the speaker or the person being spoken of 1,158 times. The next closest is Peter, 160 times. After that, Paul is third with 156, and fourth, the only other person to have three figures is John the Baptist at 107. So already we're beginning to see, maybe Jesus has something about him. I think we can conclude that. In fact, if you add up the top 30 people after Jesus mentioned, so if you put all of them together, the other 30 people in that top 30, you would get a combined number of 991 mentions. Jesus beats the rest of the top 30 by over 100 mentions. So please, if you feel like I'm banging on about it this morning, I'm okay with that because we have a whole load of Jesus references that we could work through. So I want to challenge us again. Do we really think that Jesus is the answer? I love this. I'm not, it's not up on the screen at all. But I love this in John. John 21, 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. John is telling us that what we have here, this glimpse, this 1,158 references, isn't even a scratch on what Jesus did. I'm incredibly encouraged by that. 
So I've concluded that Jesus is the answer. At this point, I thought it would have been awesome just to sit down, uh, but there is more to say on it. Because the problem with saying Jesus is the answer is we now live in a world, we spend our lives in a way that doesn't necessarily translate that into every day. It's great to know that Jesus is the answer, but what does that look like for me when I go to work? What does Jesus being the answer mean when I have a snow day? What does it look like for Jesus to be the answer in my life? I love this about Jesus. I love that we don't just have some saviour sat on a cloud watching down. We don't have a prophet sat on a hillside meditating all day. We don't have a king hidden in his castle. We have Jesus who came and lived life amongst people. In Jesus, we have the image of the invisible, living life. How does Jesus affect my life today? You might notice a common theme here. I have a book on Jesus, not just the Bible, another one. I've taken a lot of this from that. I've not read every bit about Jesus to know these facts personally. I'm on my way towards it. But how does Jesus affect my life today? Here's a collection of the things that Jesus spoke of. The kingdom of God, faith, money, movement building, healing, law, warnings, eating and drinking, family, children, prayer, the Holy Spirit, stubbornness, salvation, forgiveness, social justice, including the trees, hypocrisy, obedience, death, love, life, marriage, peace, resurrection. That's just a few of the things Jesus talks about. So I want to challenge you, the next time someone tells you Jesus isn't the answer, make them a cup of tea. Sit them down and ask them which question exactly it is about life that Jesus isn't the answer to. Because as far as I can see, it's a fairly comprehensive collection of areas of life that he talks about. Now, it may not translate directly into life today, but the essence is there. It's not hard to see how we can transition the things he talks of. So before I ask Beth to come and do our reading this morning, I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I want you to think about it seriously, because when I sat down to begin to put this thing together, I was left with a collection of words that I know to be true. They're the right answer. They're the answer we'd like to give in church. But who is he to me? Who is he to you? Some of you who are astute may well have lent already towards shepherd because of the kids' activity. I wonder if that's where you would have gone if we had not had any prompts this morning. We're going to read in a moment with Beth this passage in John 10, where Jesus very specifically talks of himself. And I think there's a huge amount for us to take from this. So we're going to invite Beth to come and read. on now so the reading glasses have got to go on sorry just can't walk in them (laughs) the readings from john chapter 10 verses 1 to 18 i tell you the truth the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and live it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf come in, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you so much for all we can take for it, uh, from it. Sorry, And Father, I thank you that in this passage alone, we just begin to see a glimpse of who your son is. And who he is to us. So I pray you would open our eyes this morning, God, that maybe we would see more of your son than we've seen before. Lord, may we leave this place and let him into more areas of our lives than we have before. In your awesome name. Amen. Just want to take apart some of this incredible passage and look at this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I wonder how many of us have had nicknames in our lives. Quick show of hands, anyone had a nickname at any stage in their life? We're not going to go round, don't worry if they're embarrassing. Okay. Nicknames are one of those things that we are assigned, often through affection. Um, if they're slightly less affectionate, it's often something that relates to a journey that we've been on with people, something personal. A nickname is something between people. It's very important to understand that a nickname is not the same as being called names. 
Being called names is just straight up bullying. So in this first part of the text, we see Jesus explaining that there is a battle for our attention going on. One side will call us by names of truth. The other side is going to call us names which really just boil down to bullying. I don't know if you've considered this, but the world will call you all sorts. The world will call you all sorts. Sometimes it will call to you under a name that puts you down, a way that belittles you, crushes your spirit, makes you feel less confident. Other times it will gently encourage you with words of affection, building your pride, building your arrogance. The world's aim is to seduce you, to turn your head from Jesus. In fact, what I love here, one of the things that I particularly focused on in my own time was the fact that whilst there is a fence, there is no way to keep the world out. Climbs over, breaks in. The world will get to you. When you became a Christian, you did not get some amazing, transparent glass put around your life that protects you from the difficulties. The world will still try and get in, still speak to you, still build you up and break you down. But I think there's an amazing warning here. The first thing that I want to pick up on is this conclusion, this fact. In fact, this is probably the foundation on which everything that we say thereafter has to be built. But this, I believe, is a truth. You were not made for this world. You were not made for this world. The world will try and fool you into thinking that it somehow owns you. Somehow you are indebted to it. But you were not made for this world. You were made for more than this world could ever offer you. The world will build you up, it will crush you, polish your ego, and eventually it will spit you out. So this question becomes key. Who is Jesus to you? Because if that's what the world's doing, we need to seriously address this question. Who is Jesus to you? Because I came to this conclusion as I journeyed through this. Jesus is who I am made for. Jesus is who I'm made for. The world will tempt me, will persuade me that they're the best choice. We saw it in the garden at the very beginning of creation. The world wants to turn our attention from who we were truly made for. But I'm confident to stand here and say, I was made for Jesus. I am Jesus's. He calls me, as the passage says, by name. And he leads me. He knows me. It's an interesting line in there that we can often dismiss as we journey through. But Jesus is who I'm made for. He calls me by name. The passage tells us the sheep listen. So I want to ask you do you listen to his voice? Do you recognize his voice? Are you listening to what Jesus is saying of you? What he's calling to you? Or are you listening to what the world demands of you? Can you differentiate between the two sounds? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the voice that you listen to? I love this. I love what Jesus does because it continues to build. 
You have to ask the question, what's the point of listening? What's the point of listening to Jesus? If we're going to conclude that he's the answer, then we need to ask this question, why would we listen? How can Jesus be the answer to the mess of my life? How can Jesus be the answer to the pain, the frustration, the dreams, the joys, all of it? How is Jesus a part of all of those things? Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The point of listening is that life isn't just about guesswork. Life isn't just taking your best shot, hoping that it works out. It's not about going it alone. It's about following. So why do I invest time in prayer? Why do I encourage you to invest time in prayer, to read your Bible, to be here on Sundays? It's because in this place, in your prayer times, in the text of the Bible, we learn to understand and tune in to what Jesus' voice sounds like. So that when we go out there, into the chaos and the noise of the world, we can still hear his voice above all of that noise. That's why I encourage you to spend time reading and praying. We're called to more than just being in here. So therefore, when we are out there, we need to know that his voice still speaks, still guides, still leads, still directs me in the mess, in the dreams, in the joy. I want to know the voice of Jesus because Jesus is my leader. He's my leader. It says the shepherd goes before the sheep. doesn't just open the pen and be like, run wild, have a great time. He leads. And I want to know his voice because I want to go where he leads me to. I want to make a difference in the places that he wants me to. Kind of bangs on about it. But Jesus isn't my leader so that I can stand here and be safe. Jesus isn't a leader so we can sit in the pen like good sheep. He's the leader because the idea is we go from this place to some other place. We go from this security to a barren land, a place that needs us to be there. And we need to be led by Jesus. I love this conclusion that that means this is not all we were made for. This is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I love church. I'm a massive advocate for church, but this is not all I'm made for. I'm made for more than this, and you are made for more than this. You are made to make a difference out there. Heard from Sheila this morning about BMS. For some, that's what they're made for. But for each of us, there is more than simply sitting in the pen. I'm content to stand on these two conclusions that I've made so far. You may find different conclusions, and that's good. But in answering who is Jesus to me, Jesus is who I'm made for. Jesus is my leader. And if I'm made for more than this, if I'm made for life outside of the pen, how does Jesus been the answer affect that? How does everything that I do, everything that I can talk about in here, everything I spend my daily life devoted to make a difference when I'm out there? 
verse 7 onwards. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The world's role, its ambition, its aim, as much as it tries to seduce us, as much as it maybe looks like the best choice in situations, here we are told its aim is to break us down, is to use us, abuse us, and spit us back out again. Jesus himself says its aim is to steal and kill. Maybe that's our joy. Maybe for you it's joy that the world saps away. Maybe it's your potential. The thing that you could be. The person you want to be. The person that Jesus aspires you to be. The world has a very specific plan. Jesus tells us in this passage what it is. If Jesus is for us, if he wants us to have life to the fullest, then we can conclude that the other side of that is a world that wants to dull us. A world that wants to hold us back. A world that never wants us to get to the fullness of who we can be in Christ. I find that a huge encouragement, the idea that there is more for me, more that I can do, more that I can be, more that we can be. Because there is a fullness in Christ. The world wants to make sure we never get there. What we read in this passage is that the fullness of life is through the gate. The fullness of life is through the gate. Through Jesus. Through his sacrifice on the cross. That's what he's talking about. Sacrifice on the cross is the way to that fullness. Please hear me. The world does not need to physically steal or kill you. I don't think we necessarily need to look at it as that. It doesn't need to steal us. It doesn't need to kill us. What it does is it will steal away your focus. It will steal away your focus. It will kill your potential in Jesus. The world just needs to stop you seeing Jesus for who he is. If it can achieve that, it's achieved all it needed to. If it can stop you seeing Jesus for who he is. Who is Jesus to you? For me, my saviour. Again, unashamedly, I have no issue with this. I grew up and I wasn't confident in college and school. I found it a real challenge to talk about my faith. But I can stand here comfortably and I can stand in this community. I can speak to friends I grew up with and I am so comfortable in that conclusion. Jesus is my saviour. Everything I achieve now, all of the good things are because of who he made me to be. The world will tell me some of the things I achieved were good, that it was me that did it. But I know this to be true. The gate that Jesus speaks of looks a whole lot like the cross. 
like a price being paid that opened the way for us to have relationship with the Father again. Jesus is my saviour. The world will beg of you to have a semi-existent existence. Be present, but not fully in the moment. The world will want you to be dull, like you're running on batteries that are dying. Jesus. And I believe this to be true. I am comfortable to say this over every single one of you. Jesus' plan for us is to be bright, is to be fully attentive and wholly present. Jesus wants the fullness of who you are in every situation. In every situation. Jesus releases life to its fullest. I don't have a faith that fits me into a religious mold. That's not why I do this. I don't have faith because it fits and it's comfortable. I have a faith in Jesus that allows me to break the mold the world would place me in. I have the faith in Jesus that allows me to break the mold the world would place me in and live in the freedom of his salvation. Some of you will have had it said over you, you would have been defined by the way that you studied, the family you come from, the area you were born, the decisions you've made. People will try and define you by that. They will tell you that you fit in a certain way because that's how the world works and you need to stay within the structure that the world has given you. I am telling you this morning that Jesus on the cross blew that mold out of the water. And he said, you know what? I'm your salvation and in me you can have life to the fullest. And the world's mold does not do justice to who you are. I don't know everything that's ever been said over you, but I promise you, Jesus is bigger than it. And he wants to bring you freedom from it, to live your life to the fullest in him. How does that work? We heard it. Jesus is my source. Jesus is my source. The sheep go out from the pen to the pasture, and they return back to the pen. There is a need for Jesus to keep me charged up, to be on fire for him. You'll word it in different ways for yourself. But if I spend too long out on my own, even when I'm doing good things, when I'm doing the thing I've been called to, if I'm not continually going back to Jesus as my source, I will get tired. And somewhere, and I don't understand how it works, but somewhere the line between me doing the thing God called me to do and me doing it for myself gets blurred. It's at that point I start to believe the lies of the world. I am good at this. This is about me. I I can do this. Please hear this. Jesus is the source. Therefore, we need to be close to him. I've banged on about it and I have no shame in it. But I genuinely believe Jesus is the answer. I'm not sure if I would go back to my GCSEs and simply leave Jesus on my piece of paper. I think there's wisdom in answering questions that you're set. But I'm comfortable in the fact that Jesus is the answer. Who is Jesus to you? I sat out at the start of this week with a blank page on my computer and the idea that I wanted to speak on Jesus seemed like a really good place to go. So I sat there and I was like, you know what, this is an awesome passage. It's a great platform to build upon 
to speak about Jesus. This is a really good way to lead into other weeks. We'll set this foundation and we'll go from there. But I need to make an honest assessment of myself. And I'm happy to do that in front of you. I don't think I've ever actually read the Gospels. I'm 35. I've been doing church as long as I can remember. And I don't think I've ever read the Gospels actually asking the question, who is the Jesus on the paper to me? Who is he? If I actually break down the things he says and the things he does, who is he to me? Because this week I've done that with 18 verses in John and we've got halfway through it and I'm done because I'm like, you know what, I need to come back and visit this again. 10 verses and already I'm blown away. Already I've concluded Jesus is more to me than he was last Sunday. I'm more in love with Jesus today than I was last Sunday because I spent some time with him and he has blown me away. He has blown me away on just how much he did for me, how much he believes in me and how much of an example he set for me. So I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Because I think as we begin to answer that question, we begin to see that we have so much more to give in this world. So much more to give in this world. If we conclude everything that Jesus said is true, and I'm happy to stand on that, then the world is out there destroying people. The world is out there bullying people. The world is out there crushing people. And I believe what we read here is Jesus saying, okay, you guys, you need to go out there and you need to point them to me. You need to let them see me as your savior, as your source, as your strength, whatever it might be for you. Do not hide who Jesus is to you. Because the world needs to hear of Jesus again. The world needs to hear who he is to you.